Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning. You guys are so fun to watch from up here. I don't know if you know that, but I enjoy the joy. Um, It took me a minute to get up here because after Brent asked what our favorite ice cream topping would be, I started to come up and then I realized I don't actually know if I know what my husband's would be, so I had to stop and find out, and his would be hot fudge, so, um, which is why we go well together, because, you know. Um, All right, so my name is Carrie, and if you have not met me, I'm one of the teachers here at Hope Church, and I would love to get to know you. We are so glad you are here, and we are in the middle of a new series called New Year, New You, and... I'm not going to ask you how many of you have kept your New Year's resolutions. We are like, what is it, 20, 21 days into the New Year? According to Forbes, uh, about 8% of us are going to quit by the first month, whatever we decided we were going to start doing. So if that's you, no judgment. But I do want to ask this. How many of you who made New Year's resolutions woke up on January 1st and said, "Ah, I probably need to do something different in my life? right? Maybe that was you. Maybe. But do we, I don't feel like we collectively wake up on January 1st and say, wow, today's the day. I I think I'm going to sit and I'm going to figure out what needs to change. Because usually, if we're honest, when we decide that we need to make a change on January 1st, it's been a long time coming. It's been a slow roll. It's been something that maybe a pattern, a habit, an unhealthy thing in our life that has been sort of creeping up on us. I talked to my friend recently, and she had to have shoulder surgery. And she said it got so bad that she really had very restricted movement in her arm. And she's an artist, and so that was a big deal for her. But she said to me, you know, I look back and she said, I think it's probably been years that I was slowly losing some function in that arm, and I just didn't realize it. And how many of you maybe can relate? Maybe you can look back and you could even say, man, I think, I think around COVID, I started picking up some bad habits. I think around this time in my life, I, I started, maybe, um, maybe my spending changed, and it seemed a little bit at a time, and now I've got all this debt, or maybe um, the way I was spending my time, or maybe the way that I was um, investing in my relationships, and God is showing me, man, something's got to change. And so you're here, and you're like my friend, and you're like, maybe not surgery, but I need a radical change. And here at Hope, we want to recognize that just like we have these physical to-do lists or physical resolutions, like to be healthier, to change our finances, we may have a lot of spiritual goals that we want to accomplish as well. And if we're honest, you may find actually that a lot of times the things that seem like physical problems are actually often rooted in spiritual things. And so as we address together some spiritual disciplines, some spiritual resolutions that we may have, I believe that God's going to show us how all those things are connected, and he's really going to free us, I believe, from, from a lot of other things in our lives that need work. But you might be thinking, okay, we're new year, new you. What does it look like to have spiritual resolutions? Well, you might start with something simple like the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, God, I, I want to look at the Ten Commandments. I want to honor you in those ways. You might say, I'm not going to covet. 2024 is the year. I'm going to give up murder. You know, <laughs> I think that's a good one. Yes, I applaud you. So good, keep, keep that up. Um, or you might say, okay, these are, there's some things I'm going to stop doing. 
Or there might be things like you look at that you want to start doing in your life. And you might say, I want to see more fruits of the Spirit in my life from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And you might say, I want more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, kindness, right? Those are fruits that we want to see grow and develop in our life. That's what we envision in our life. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, we're going to talk a little more about fruits, actually, as we go through. But I want to look at a passage today that's going to start us off. It's going to give us maybe a handle on a few qualities or characteristics that God wants to grow in us. But also, I think it's going to point out to us kind of how a spiritual process of becoming more mature in Christ might look like. All right? Um, and by the way, the, the, the critical thought here today is that it is a process. Any spiritual growth that we um, invite God to, to do inside of us is going to take time. And so today's message is actually called Go Slow to Grow, which may not be a fun title for you. It is not a fun title for me, I will tell you that much. But we're going to jump into 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9 today, and we're going to look a little bit at how God might be calling us to live a godly life so Second uh, Peter, we're jumping right in here. It says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We're going to pause right there. First of all, God is saying we've been called by him to a godly life. That is our goal, right? Our goal is to live a life that honors God and that is rooted in him, for him, and through him. That is spiritual maturity, right? And I love that Peter says, we already have all that we need for a godly life. The minute that you say yes to Christ, there's, you know, like when you play video games, are, are there any gamers in here? So there's some games you play, right, where you have to like level up and you have to, you can like earn more weapons or, or shields or whatever as you go. And God is like, God is like, following Christ is not that way. You don't start out with like nothing and have to earn your way up. God says, the minute you say yes to me, you already have all that you need to live a godly life. Okay, I want you to know that. Then we're going to go forward here. Verse 4 says, Through these, through God's glory and his goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Maybe that sounds a little strange to you. I really believe, so I was just in a class recently on spiritual formation, and our teacher talked about how we can be spiritually formed, more like Christ, or we can become spiritually malformed. And I think that's what this, this phrase here kind of refers to. When we're corrupted by the world or these desires, it's when the world has been shaping us or mal-shaping us, forming us away from Christ, forming us in a different path than what he wants for us. And so that is what that kind of corruption looks like. It's, it's being formed away from God. And God says, I have saved you, I've freed you from that, so you're no longer under the law, you're no longer under the world's version of growth, and he's inviting us instead to allow him to shape us and form us more like himself. So Peter goes on, verse 5, For this reason, make every effort... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess all these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ." But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. 
So first of all, Peter's saying, listen, when you've been cleansed from your past sins, and we had several people who got baptized up here, and they made this declaration that they want to follow God, and God is saying, those of us who have done that, we don't want to stay spiritually blind. We want, to, we want to say, okay, God, I want you to add to this initial faith that I have. I want you to build all these qualities in my life. And as an Enneagram 3 who likes productivity and being efficient and being effective, I really like Peter's language here, right? We want to do all these things because we don't want to be, um, maybe for you it's not about being productive, but you want to be purposeful. You want to live a life that matters, a life that honors God, a life that is, that is driven by his love and his um, his heart for others. And so Peter is saying, if you want your life to look that way, here are the things that you need to grow and develop and build in your life. And I like that at the beginning of this section, it says, make every effort. And this is what Tom talked about last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen. But you talked about how we have a choice. It's always a choice. And we can choose to do nothing. But if we do nothing, we're not going to improve our lives physically and we're not going to improve our lives spiritually. There has to be a choice or an effort on our part to surrender to God, to invite him to begin to make changes and to start asking God, what practices can I begin in my life that lead me towards your path? Um, and we're going to get to those. But I love, too, the imagery that Peter uses here of building blocks. He kind of says, like, okay, um, again, for all of us, when you choose to follow God, you start with this faith, and that is the foundation that God is going to build on, okay? Um, that is such a beautiful act of surrender to God, and everything else flows from that. But once you start with that faith, God's like, okay, I want to build more things. I want to build godliness. I want to build mutual affection. I want to build perseverance and self-control. And we're culminating in love, which is the greatest, right? That's really what we want for ourselves and for our lives is to reflect God's love. God's love. Um, we may have a tendency to want to do all the spiritual disciplines at once, right? We're like, okay, there's some of you that are like, all right, let me in there. I'm going to do it. You just give me the 10 things I need to do, and I'm going to check them off, and I'm going to earn my, like, Holy Spirit badge or whatever. Like, no, we have to slow down, and we have to recognize that we're, it's not going to be instant growth. And I think that's hard for us. We want that to happen instantly sometimes. But God says, I'm inviting you on a journey. It's going to be a process, and it's going to take some time. And you're going to have some days where you feel like you're going backwards, and, and you just need to trust that I'm still working, and you have to keep surrendering to me. So how do we do this, Carrie? What does it look like to begin to develop these things in our lives? Uh, so we are going to be looking, um, at least in the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at this Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, and this is by Adele Alberg Calhoun. And I actually, um, I'm going to try to give away one of these books for next week, so I will, um, if you want to just see me afterwards, I'm going to try to draw names from people who actually might, might want, some, want this book. So either, either see me after, or you could even email me at cber at cthope.com. Uh, I feel like I should have some kind of like 1-800 number behind me there. Um, but yeah, come see me. I would love to give one of these away. Um, but we're going to be going through this book. And the reason I love this book is it's kind of like a devotion. It's, it's broken into short segments. And each section is a different spiritual discipline, a different um, habit, if you will, that helps lead us more into God's heart and grow that spiritual fruit in us. Um, but what I love about this book is it's not just a book that you read. It's a book that really reads you. And what I mean by that is when you read this book, there's going to be uh, questions that are challenging, that are going to force you to sit and really reflect and listen to what God might be asking you to change. And there's also going to be activities like holy experiments for you to try. Um, and I'll share a couple with you today, actually. Activities that are meant to help us to begin to form habits that, that um, allow us to recognize God and to move towards his love and his heart for us. Uh, so we're going to get to that. 
Um, but a quick word of caution here. Like I said, for some of us, you're going to get this book or you're going to hear about dis- different spiritual disciplines and you're going to be like, I just want to like, you know, lose all the spiritual dead weight overnight and tomorrow I'm going to do it and it's going to happen it's right away. And you might find that you start by trying to do these spiritual disciplines without God. I think that's one of the problems we can get into as Christians, especially when we've been following God for a while, is that sometimes we start to think that God's job is to save us and then our job is to take it from there and that we're supposed to produce the spiritual fruit on our own. And any time that we are pursuing anything without Christ, apart from Christ, it's going to malform us, okay? So we need to make sure that when we start doing spiritual disciplines, we start with, a, with a, an open hands and say, God, we're inviting you to show us what we need to do. Show us what fruit you want to grow in us. And um, so I, I made a short video, and I'm going to show this to you, and hopefully this explains a little bit of what I mean about why it's so important to rest in God as we begin spiritual disciplines. The world offers us spiritual life hacks, promising instant fruit of the Spirit. The enemy loves our good Christian to-do list, which daily wakes us to run on a frantic treadmill straight to spiritual malformation. We're too busy for reflection and repentance. Chuck DeGroat says our frenzied engagement in too many tasks mask deep questions of self-worth and belonging. We become addicted to the idols of productivity and independence. So we become the saviors of the world, ignoring the gift of our limitations. In fact, in our need to control, people in front of us become interruptions, not divine appointments. Calhoun says we certainly don't become better people in haste. More likely than not, the faster we go, the less we become. The world wows us with fake flowers. But Jesus wants to remove these fruits of narcissism, isolation, resentment, and exhaustion from us. In community, it's messy, but we find it's what God designed us for, and we're led deeper into worship, prayer, and joy. Calhoun says community works against the spirit of isolation and independence that cripples the church. In slowness... We find our children and neighbors aren't obstacles, but God in the flesh. Calhoun reminds us that love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. In rest, we discover the joy of being in God's presence and love. And here we embrace limitations, submitting to a God who watches over all things as we rest. In these disciplines, we learn to stay in our vine, Jesus, and be enlivened by his spirit so the slow fruit of God grows full in our lives. So that's a little silly. I actually had to do that for a, a class project last semester. Um, but you kind of get this sense, right, that I think sometimes when we start doing it, when we get into do-it-ourselves mode, we, we end up with this fake fruit and fake flowers, and it looks beautiful. But honestly, um, I know for myself and maybe for many of you, if we have gotten into do-it-ourselves mode, usually the fruit of that is actually, is actually the opposite of what we want. It's not peace. It's not patience. It's not kindness. Usually it's exhaustion. It's burnout. It's emptiness. It's, you know, we feel like we have to pretend around everyone. And God says, that's tiring. And I want to grow real fruit in you, true fruit. Um, And I think actually Jesus would say, even one of his words to the Pharisees was, hey, listen, when you're focusing on self-righteousness, you're like a whitewashed tomb. The outside looks good. The outside looks beautiful, but the inside is broken and longing for God. And so God wants to grow fruit in us his way, not ours. So I'm going to have you, you're probably sitting here thinking, okay, Carrie, back up. You, you know, Tom said it's a choice and you're saying make every effort, but then you're also saying it's God's job. So what is it? What are you trying to tell me? Where do we start? And I get that frustration. I think it can be a fine line sometimes. But what I want to say is if we're making a choice to follow God, if we're making a choice to have God grow fruit inside us, what we really need to start with are disciplines that allow us to make space for the presence of God. 
We have to start by making space for the presence of God. Now listen, your disciplines that you do, they don't earn you God's presence. God's presence is already there. But if you're honest, if I'm honest, a lot of times I'm living so fast, I'm living so distracted that I do not recognize the presence of God in my life, right? And so I, for me, God is constantly working on this, but I have got to always go back to God. How do I slow down and be in your presence? So the three um, disciplines I want to go through today briefly are slowing, examine, um, and we'll talk about that one a little, explain why it's differently spelled. Uh, It's kind of like reflection. So we have slowing, examine, and we have rest. And these three might sound like unlikely places to start for those of us who are go-getters and we're like, yes, I want to do it, I want to get it done. But I truly believe these are going to be the things that we need to do to start to begin to experience God's change in our lives Um, So raise your hand, first of all, if you like going slow. And I don't mean like you're on island time slow. I mean like like you are running late to work and your toddler has decided that this is the day that they're going to put all of their snow gear on all by themselves and you're watching them like put the glove on and you're like... So Um, slow is not fun for me. It really is not. Um, I'm triggered just talking about it. Um, But... Adele Calhoun, in this book, she says this, we don't get to our futures any faster if we hurry. And we certainly don't become better people in haste. More likely than not, the faster we go, the less we become. More likely than not, the faster we go, the less we become. Why is that? Because often, if we're honest, the faster we go, the more our lives become about checking off a to-do list. It becomes about being productive. We, we often, the faster we go, we may be doing more things, but we've lost the purpose of why we're doing it. We've lost the focus and the heart of what God wants to do. In fact, one of the exercises that Adele mentions in this book um, is for, for slowing is to intentionally go in the slow lane behind a slow car. I tried this. I was not good at it. Um, but you know what's interesting? is after the first few seconds where you like, you like have to like readjust to the fact that you're not trying to get behind this car and, um, and once you get past the annoyance of it, you know what I realized? I was actually able to like sit and pray. And I was actually able to, I, I kind of got this different perspective shift where I'm like, Carrie, what are you, when I'm like trying my hardest to get around all these slow cars, am I saving myself, what, one minute? Maybe, maybe two minutes? And God was kind of showing me like, listen, Carrie, if you happen to get somewhere late, Maybe that's not the end of the world. And maybe, so we allow, when we slow, we start to recognize that our priorities are often not God's priorities. And our sense of time is often not God's sense of time. And often God is saying, listen, you've got this this space in your car to drive and to be with me. Don't block me out. Don't, Don't minimize my voice because you are in such a hurry to get somewhere. We need to begin to go slower See, I'm making you wait. <laughs> There's a whole mindset that God wants to change in us. And often if we slow down, we, we start to have to confront the things that make us want to go fast in the first place. And sometimes it's a control issue. Sometimes we realize our identity is rooted in productivity. Maybe slowing down gives us too much time to think. And we've preferred to stay numb to all the things we're feeling pain about or fear about or trying to suppress um, I think God clearly is going to keep speaking to me on slowing because this is a problem I have, um, which I think is why God gave my kids not only a holiday this week, but also a snow day and then a delay. And I'm sitting here like, God, I've got stuff to do. Send my kids to school, please. Um, 
So God also sent me a podcast this week uh, called The Digital Examine Podcast by J.Y. Kim. And he, he says, and I think this is so critical, he says, we need to live at the pace of peace. We need to live at the pace of peace. How many of us are asking God for peace? I know I am. And then how many of us are also living at 90 miles an hour and trying to ask God to bless our 90 miles an hour pace, right? And I think sometimes God is like, hey, the peace is here. I have it, but part of it is that you've got to make the choice to slow. You've got to make the choice to accept my peace, and that comes at, at the cost of giving up a little bit of your to-do, giving up a little bit of your productivity. Bless you. God wants to give you freedom from that. So according to Calhoun, some of the fruit we have from, from slowing is that it allows us to keep company with Jesus. It frees us from spiritual shortcuts. I like those, but they produce fake fruit, right? It gives us patience. It helps, to, helps us to wait with grace. It helps us to live in the truth. Listen to this one. Live in the truth that love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. And it allows us to receive interruptions graciously, and those are so important. Slowing down, one of the greatest fruits of that is that it allows us to recognize the presence of Jesus in our life. And that is leading me right into the next um, spiritual discipline that I want to share with you today, which is examine. Now, this one is the Latin word. It's spelled E-X-A-M-E-N. It's very similar to the, the verb examine that you've probably heard of, which is to, like, um, to dig into something, to understand something better, uh, to search something. But I believe the idea of examine goes a little farther than that. It's, it's a practice, and actually we're going we're gonna to discuss it in a second. It was developed initially by St. Ignatius of Loyola, and it is really this um, discipline that allows us even daily to invite God with us. So we're not just reflecting on our day by ourselves, but we're inviting God to reflect with us and to show us where he wants to take us, what, what he wants to do in our lives. Because truly, you cannot have resolutions without reflection with God. We can't know where God wants to take us if we don't sit first and ask him where he wants us to go. And this is very biblical because even in the Psalms, we see this, Psalm 139, 23 through 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So here the psalmist is, is inviting God into his, into his thoughts, into his um, reflection, and he's saying, God, maybe there's things I don't see in myself. There's some things I know are wrong, but there's some things I don't. Please show me. And this is not about God condemning you. It's really about God allowing, uh, allowing God to show us where he can lead us into the way, of ever, the way everlasting. It's about life. God wants to lead us into his freedom, not to shame us. Um, but really, sitting to reflect with God allows us to see not just the fruit that we want in our lives, but the root reasons that maybe we're being malformed. The root and the fruit. What do I mean by this? Um, well, do you know one thing that, God, that Jesus is called the great physician? And I believe that as the physician, he wants us to come to him as a doctor and ask him what's wrong with us. Now, I know Thomas talked about this. We, sometimes we get into this habit of, of when we have a physical malady, we want to look up on WebMD, like, why do I have this? And what could it possibly be, right? Um, and the problem with that is there's, there's many different reasons that someone could have a malady. Let's just say you have high blood pressure, Right? One person might have high blood pressure because they have a lot of stress in their lives. And the doctor's like, listen, no matter what, you could cut out all kinds of fat and you could do all these different things, but if you don't significantly cut back at your hours at work, that stress is going to just keep, keep being a, a killer for you, you know? 
For other people, it may be, it may be foods. The doctor says, listen, you're going to have to cut this out. That's, that's the only way this is going to change. And for others, someone may come in and say, hey, listen, you know what? This is a hereditary issue for you. So even if you did all the diet and all of this, you're, gonna, you're still going to probably have to end up taking medication for that, you know? Um, and in the same way, I think we, God wants us to bring to him the spiritual things, the, the emotions, the triggers, the, the things in our lives that are bothering us, and he wants to, um, us to let him diagnose what's really wrong with us. So for instance, say you're struggling with anger. I know, I know for me, like anger shows up a lot in different ways in my life. But if we're not careful, we, we might just say, okay, I don't want to be an angry person, so I'm going to stop being angry, right? I'm going to just count to 10 more, some deep breaths, and you're going to say, God, just help me to stop being angry. Okay, but then what happens? Well, usually, especially if we're trying to stop anger on our own, we're going to push it down, we're going to suppress it, we're going to avoid it, we're going to do all these things, and it's not going to work, and eventually we're going to blow up, if you're like me, and it's like all going to come leaking out, and then what happens? Well, then you're angry because you got angry, and you feel shame, so much shame, right? You think, what is wrong with me? And the enemy likes to get in there then and say, well, the reason you have anger, the reason you can't get over this problem is because you're not a good Christian, or maybe you weren't a Christian to begin with, right? Like, like what is wrong with you? And everyone else around you seems to be doing just fine. It's just a you problem. And we start to isolate then. And we start to be afraid to share our problems with other people because what if they don't understand? And do you see what's happening? Is when we do it on our own, bit by bit, we become more and more malformed, shaped away from God, shaped away from community. And God says, listen, I just want you to come to me and invite me into that emotion. Even if you think you shouldn't have it, invite me into it and let me show you what I want to work on in your lives. So again, if we look at anger, some of our anger might stem from control issues, if we're honest. God says, I want you to notice the times that you get angry. Is it when something doesn't go the way you expect it to? Is it when something even simple maybe, maybe shifts and you did not get to do what you thought you were going to do? And God may say, I'm going to lead you to spiritual disciplines like detachment, like letting go. Spiritual disciplines that help you to trust me more and let go of, of what happens when things go the way you don't expect or when people block your progress. And so God may show you that he's got some things he wants to work in your life in there. For other people, you, you may have an anger that God says your anger is actually really closely related to justice. And maybe, maybe God says, actually, I just want to transform your anger. I want to lead you into my anger because you know what? Human anger doesn't accomplish the righteousness that I desire I want you to, to take that anger and I want to show you where I want to lead you into my love, my heart for those who are receiving injustice, for those who are, who are abandoned or alone or are um, dealing in a, living in a system that's unjust. And so maybe God says, I want to change that anger in you. For others, that anger may be a direct result of unforgiveness. I know Sherry talked about this recently and when she and Roger came and shared and she had this visual of us being like, when we have unforgiveness in our lives, it's like a cage that we walk ourselves in. And we might think unforgiveness is, is like paying back the other person, but it always, always impacts our life negatively. Um, and in fact, if you go through Freedom Prayer, which I highly recommend, that's something that now you are able to sign up for, um, I, I believe, on our, on our Hope Church website. Um, and you can talk to Roger and Sherry about that as well. But one of the things that people often have to do during Freedom Prayer is to confront unforgiveness. And this happened to me recently because I know what the prayer team has done. I sort of did like the freedom prayer on myself because I had a lot of anger recently. And I might not seem like an angry person, but I was recognizing this, like this pattern of irritability that kept cropping up in the same situation every single time. And in fact, I was having these angry thoughts that I was like, whoa, that's not very godlike. Why am I having that thought? And then I was starting to feel frustrated about that. And I sat with God finally and I invited him into that. And I, it was interesting because what he showed me was that it, it was a forgiveness issue. 
And for me, it was interesting because this person, the situation wasn't fully to blame. So I thought, God, how can I forgive someone if it's not even fully their fault? But God said, no, you need to make a list of all the ways that you have felt wounded or um, taken advantage of, all the things that this, this situation has cost you or, or you've given up. And I want you to make a list and then I want you to let me help you forgive that person, that situation, that, that organization, whatever it is. And I just started sobbing. It was one of those moments where I had no idea how much unforgiveness had taken its toll in my life. Here, I thought I had an anger issue. And God wanted to show me that it was an unforgiveness issue. And so again, what I'm saying here is, this is partly why we come to God and we allow him to show us what disciplines he wants to lead us into. Because we don't want to just, we don't want to just throw our energy at what we think is the problem. We want to get to the root. And God wants to eliminate that um, by sitting with us. So how could we do that? If you're like, okay, I, this sounds great. I, maybe I have anger. Maybe I have fear. Maybe I have um, resentment or whatever it might be. How do I take that to God? And here is where the practice of examine might really come in handy for you. Um, so here, again, this is, uh, this is so you could look this up. There's different variations of it. But basically, there's five simple steps. The first one is invitation. It's our chance to invite God into our day to say, okay, God, I'm going to sit, even if it's just for five minutes, and, and say, I want you to be part of, of my thinking through the, what happened today, and I want to just invite you to show me where you were and how you are leading me in this day. And the second piece is gratitude. And this is just a great habit for us, even if it's one thing that we can think of from, the, from today. One thing that we can be thankful for, and that helps to tune our heart to God's grace and to his goodness that's all around us. The third thing is reflection. And again, that's reflection not just on our own, but with God. Um, I don't know about you guys. I, when I grew up, I had like, I have this ideal image of our family dinner time. Like, I think we were just always happy and eating together. I'm sure my parents wouldn't say it was that way. But my kids, I don't think my kids like to sit and eat together. It seems like really a, like a, a time that they would rather yell at each other. And, you know, so it's not always a happy moment in our house. But when I find, if, I, if I do have a moment where all of our kids are sitting down at the table together, sometimes I like to go around the table and say, okay, everyone share a high and low. Share one thing today that was really great for you or share one thing that maybe today was like really not the best for you. And that's kind of what this third piece is, reflection. It's inviting God into the, the greatest moments and the least, of the, the worst moments of our lives. So we might say, um, God, today, um, you know, I... I I felt really close to you when I was listening to that worship music or when I saw the ice falling down the, the, you know, the, the, um, the side of the cliff as I was driving. Or maybe you might say, God, I felt so alive when I was doing this thing that you made me to do. And conversely, we might say, God, this thing happened to me today. I got really frustrated with my spouse or my kids and I, I felt far from you and I felt frustrated. And so we just give God that and we invite him into that. And then it kind of leads us into this next piece, which is confession. We give God our sins, especially where we've had frustrating moments, moments where we feel like we've let God down or, um, or let people down. Um, we, we give those things to him, and God can remind us that he loves us, that he's forgiven us, and God can show us those places. We might say, okay, God, where, what was the root of that when I got so frustrated? Was it an insecurity that I had? What do you want to work in my life? And finally, we look forward. The fifth piece is looking forward. And I love that, especially if you do this practice at the end of the day, it's a good opportunity for you to not just give God what happened today, but to preemptively surrender tomorrow to God and say, hey, maybe you're looking forward to something. Maybe you're like, my kid's got this game, my kid's got this thing, or, or I have this awesome thing I'm looking forward to. Or maybe you're nervous, I've got this job interview I'm not, not sure about. 
And it's an opportunity to give that to God right, from, right before you even go to bed so you can go into the next day focusing on God. As we do this, the fruit of examine, again from Calhoun's book, she says that examine helps us to recognize God's presence in our experience, to be aware of it, to keep company with Jesus in the highs and the lows of our day. Um, at one point, I think it was this practice, I had to go through it, and she said, notice all the times that you uh, get frustrated, and when you get frustrated, say, okay, God, here I am, like, invite him into that moment, and I found myself, like, at first, at, at first I would get really annoyed, and then I'd be like, okay, God, here I am, like, um, and I, it almost felt, like, ridiculous, but I, I started to laugh at some point, I'm like, okay, God, God actually wants to be in those moments with me. Those moments when we think we're the farthest from God, that God would, would least want to be with us, are the moments we most need to be aware of his presence and his grace in our lives. So letting him into those moments. And finally, it gives us more discernment and receptivity to his voice. And finally, and we're, I promise we're, we're wrapping up here now, um, the final practice I want to share is rest. We have um, slowing, and we have examine, and we have rest. And you're going to notice all these things kind of overlap. They all, in some ways, go together. Um, but rest is something that God designed us for. In fact, God gave us rest as a gift. Now, how many of you have a hard time with rest? I do. I think, I think that often either we feel guilty when we rest, or maybe we've gotten good at kind of resting, but in a way that is more like numbing and escaping. Because um, I think our culture is not good about rest. Our culture is more like, here's how you can distract yourself. Um, and God is saying, the rest I have for you is truly for flourishing. It's for the goodness of your soul. We have to make time for rest. It's a rhythm God designed us for. In fact, it was there at creation when God made the world. He took six days of creation, and then he himself rested. And then he gave us that pattern, and he handed it down for us to continue. Um, listen, the fruit of rest... We're going to keep talking about that. Um, in every, actually, in every section, she shares um, what the fruit of each discipline is. So it's kind of fun if you want to look at that on your own. But the fruit of rest, she says, is keeping company with Jesus by curbing your addictions to busy, busyness, rush, and hurry. Curbing your addiction to busyness, rest, and hurry. Rush and hurry. Um, that is me all over. Freedom from the compulsion to take your identity from what you do. Honoring the way God created you by living healthy and intentionally rested lives. And then taking time to delight in God and your family and meals and all the good gifts of creation that God gives us. Now, I realize this is easier said than done for some of you, and I can almost like hear the, the argument for some of you. You may be like, Carrie, listen, you don't understand. Um, rest sounds like a really great idea, but I'm a single parent, or I've got three jobs, and I can't take a day off, because if I do, I won't be able to pay my mortgage, right? And so maybe there's some of you who are in here who are thinking, yeah, rest sounds like a luxury that I don't have. And I'm going to get to that in a second. I will, because I hear you, and I, I feel you. I think that you're in a really hard place. But here's a few questions I think we can ask ourselves as we wrap up here about praying to find rest. First of all, God, is there anything that I need to give up in order to find rest? Tom talked about this last week too. We could spend a whole message on just what it looks like to give up things, not just start new things, but what do we need to let go of in our lives? And God may say, hey, listen, there are some good things in your life that have, become, that have actually become 
obstacles to you being with me. Maybe it's that you can't go to every single game your kid plays. I know you love your kid, and I know we want to honor them, and we want to show up for them, but God may say, even good things in your life, you may need to ask, maybe I just need to do that less often. Maybe I need to cut back on that a little bit so I can intentionally carve out some date nights with God, some, some date mornings, a coffee, a walk with God, and just spend time resting with him. Number, number two, the second question we can ask is, God, hey, I'm not sure I can cut out anything right now. I really don't think I can. Can you provide rest for me? Can you provide opportunities of rest for me? Can you provide people to come into my life to watch my kids for a little bit so I can have a break? And I know this one sounds scary, but I was, I was reading through the Old Testament recently, um, and you know the story where Jesus, where God leads the, his Israelites through the wilderness? And they get to the wilderness, and first of all, they don't have food. And they are in survival mode because they're like, okay, here we are, and we don't have what we need, and we don't have any food. And then God gives them the Ten Commandments and tells them to go rest. And if you know anything, when you're in the wilderness, you're in survival mode, you don't have time for rest, right? But what I love is that when God provides food for the Israelites, he also provides a way for them to rest. He builds it right into his provision. So he gives them manna, but he gives them manna for six days, and on the sixth day he gives them enough manna so they have manna or bread for the seventh day as well. And all I'm saying here is this. Um, I don't think I've been good about this in my life. I look back, especially when I was raising like really little kids, I don't think I asked God to show up and give me rest. And I believe if you're in a place where you feel stuck, that God wants to invite you to give him that problem that you don't have time for rest, and he wants to show up and provide for you in that way. And so I would encourage you just to try, just to ask God to show up and provide for you in that way. And finally, here's the third question you can ask if you're trying to find rest. You might say, God, here are the things I'm currently doing to find rest, but are these things leading me closer to your heart? Are they, are they leading me deeper into your rest and your flourishing for my soul? Or are they distractions? Are they numbing me? Are they, are they causing me to, to be further malformed? And we invite God to show us what real rest looks like. Because I want to end with this idea here. I'm going to just close out with Matthew 11, 28 through 30. If you look through the Bible, you're going to see that, that God, God promises things as we trust in him, as we rest in him, as we slow to be with him. This is God's heart for you. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, um, I thank you that you are a God who loves us enough um, to invite us into rest, to invite us into your presence. And I pray, God, that, that for each person here, that maybe they just pick one discipline this week, that you'd show them whether it's slowing or rest or examine with you. And I ask that you would begin uh, to cultivate in them um, a love for your, your, your presence. And I pray that you'd show up uniquely for each of us, God. And I pray that as we slow and we experience you, that you would speak your words of truth and love over us, that you not only love us, but you like us, and you want to be with us, and you want to grow good fruits in us. Um, and I pray that you would change our hearts as we trust in you. Amen.